1 Samuel chapter 7. It can be found on page 277 in the Bible in the seat in front of you. 277, 1 Samuel chapter 7. And we're going to start at verse 2. 1 Samuel 7, verse 2. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and they, there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as a leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Israelites heard that Israel, sorry, when the Philistines heard that, the, that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he held, also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Wonderful. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, please do keep that passage open, 277 in your pew Bibles. We have prayed, so let's begin. Here's a question for you. Have you ever had that feeling, that feeling of thinking, again, I've done it again? I said I wouldn't, I knew I shouldn't, and yet here I am again, having done this thing that I hate. You ever had that sickening feeling? It's horrible. It's that sense that perhaps we might never change, that we might always repeat our mistakes, always end up doing what we hate. The actress Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia herself, knew the feeling well. 
In a documentary, she expressed it perfectly once. She said, you know what would be so cool? To get to the end of my personality. I'm sick of myself. Do you know that sickening feeling? Maybe you've felt it as we've been going through 1 Samuel. As you've read Israel, God's people, turning away from him again and again. Time after time, falling into the same old mistakes, doing all the things wrong that God told them not to. We've seen corruption among their leaders. We've seen the people using God in battle, taking out the Ark of the Covenant, treating it like a talisman. And so they suffered this crushing defeat at the hands of the Philistines. But even after the Ark returned, like we heard last week, they were still no closer to God. Israel repeating these mistakes again and again, that same old sickening feeling, will things ever change for them? And last week, we ended with a painful question. Chapter 6, verse 20, it's on the same page. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? But here's the surprise. At the end of chapter 7, which Sarah just read, somehow the people are standing before God. Somehow, there's been the most massive turnaround in Israel's fortunes. How has that happened? Well, there's a turnaround for Israel because they've turned back to God. Samuel, who's been off stage for the past three chapters, steps back into the story. And over the past 20 years or so, he has been busy. God has been speaking his word through Samuel to his people. And what a difference God's word makes in the life of Israel. So that somehow at the end of this chapter, they aren't just doomed to repeating their mistakes. They haven't just done the same old thing. But remarkably, things have turned around for them as they've turned back to God. And what we see in chapter 7 is is nothing short of a spiritual revival. What that means is God taking his spiritually dead people and bringing them back to him, bringing them back to life. That all happens through his word in the power of his spirit. And so what we're going to see tonight is, is three things God's word called Israel to do through Samuel. So that instead of that sickening feeling... Things changed for them and can change for us. So here's the first thing Samuel calls Israel to do, to repent, to return to God and put away all idols. He's calling them to, to return to God. If you look down at uh, verse 2, we see that the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Now, they have cried out before in their misery, but this is different. This time, they're crying out to the Lord. They're not just tears because things aren't going their way. I think we've all shed those. But now they're taking their sorrow and their struggle to God, turning towards him. And Samuel takes them on the crucial next step from regret and remorse to something else. Have a look down at verse 3. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. 
Samuel is saying, things will only turn around for you, Israel, if you turn back to God. But to turn back to him, you must put away anything and everything that competes with him. You must, in other words, repent. That is not a word we often hear outside of churches, but it's a really important one. And if you're here this evening looking into the Christian faith for yourself, here's what it means. To repent is to make that 180 degree turn back to God. And it's always a turn back to him because he is the one who made us for ourselves. But if we're going to do that and be real about it, that will mean putting away anything and everything that competes with him. And that's what we see Israel doing in verse 4. They put away their their bales and their ashtoreths to serve the Lord only. They put them away, not the way we put away Christmas decorations, which you're kind of looking forward to seeing again in the future, but the way you put away rubbish from your kitchen bin that you never want to see or smell in your house again. They put these things away. And we can't imagine that it was easy for them because getting rid of these bales and ashtoreths, well, that would mean being different from all the people around them. And it would mean no more of those X-rated fertility rituals that the people of Israel seem to find so enticing. All of it had to go. But they did it because Samuel taught them an essential truth. We serve God only or not at all. So they returned to God and and put away all their idols. And in verse 5, Samuel gets them all together because this isn't just a private individual act of spirituality. It's something they do together as a people. They repent together. We see them pour water out on the ground and then fast from food. Why? Well, they're saying that God is more important even than food or water as they turn back to him. And then, remarkably, in verse 6, at the end there, they come clean. They confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Samuel calls them to return to the Lord, as he says, to return with all their hearts. Second thing he calls them to do, he calls them to rely on God through the mediator he provides. To rely on God through the mediator he provides. Now, the Philistines hear that the Israelites are gathering, and from their point of view, the last time they saw Israelites getting all religious was an act of aggression. It was back in chapter 4 when the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant out, and that was a, a war move, so the Philistines come to attack first. And the people of Israel are afraid. After all, last time they lost badly. But having returned to the Lord, this time it's different. Have a look at verse 8. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Do you spot that? Something big has changed in their hearts because they're no longer trying to use God for their own ends, but they know that he is stronger than any army. They know he can rescue them. And so astonishingly, as understandable as their fear of the Philistines is, it's not ultimate for them. Their fear of God is bigger than their fear of the Philistines. And they rely on God through the mediator he provides, through Samuel. Verse 9, through Samuel's sacrifice and prayer, they trust in the Lord. And you see it there at the end of verse 9, 
and the Lord answered him. Just like we heard a couple of weeks ago, the side that fears God wins and wins emphatically. And so it's not like chapter four where the Israelites threw up a huge cry to try to intimidate the Philistines. This time, verse 10, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines. The Lord intervened. The battle was won by him for them. And you know what's interesting? They go into this battle in chapter seven with less and more than they had last time. Less, because if you think about it, they put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths. They can no longer cry out to those pagan gods and keep their options open. They have less, but you know what? They also have more, because this time they are relying on the Lord and him alone. And so he comes to fight for them with almighty, undefeatable power. And so they learn the valuable lesson that I know some of us have learned through hard experience. That when God is all we have, then we discover he is all we need and more than enough. Samuel calls them to rely on God through the mediator he provides. And finally, after the victory, he calls them to remember what God has done and be thankful. Verse 12, first thing Samuel does takes a stone and sets it up as a monument. And it's not a monument to him. It's not even a monument to Israel. It is a monument all about God and what he has done. It's an Ebenezer. That's a a word that sometimes pops up in our hymns. And what does it mean? Well, verse 12 tells us it means, thus far the Lord has helped us. Samuel puts up this monument to make sure Israel is in no doubt The victory is the Lord's. And Samuel wants the Israelites to remember and be thankful. And this is something of a turning point for Israel as they experience God calling them back to him. Verse 14, from now on, well, verse 13, from now on we read the Philistines stop invading Israel's territory. Verse 14, if you have a look down at it, just scan that verse with your eyes. What you'll see there is the people of Israel beginning to enjoy the promise of a land with security and peace from God. So even the territory they had lost has been restored to them. The most astonishing blessing for God's people under Samuel, the mediator God has provided. And we see that, verse 15 to 17, Samuel is a key figure in Israel's political life and in its worshiping life. We see where God's agenda is going because here's Samuel moving across the land, bringing God's just rule. And we see how God's worship agenda is going. Even though the Shiloh sanctuary is destroyed, here is Samuel leading the people in prayer, building an altar in Ramah. That's why we had so many chapters about Samuel's childhood because even in those dark decades where it looked like God was absent, he was at work raising up Samuel, preparing the ground so that in the fullness of time, through his word, he could call his people back to him. And under Samuel, they would experience his blessing. Under Samuel, light would break out into their darkness at last, and they would be revived. God would bring them back to life again. Chapter seven is a massive turnaround, and it's because they turned back to God. 
They weren't just left doomed to repeat their mistakes because God's word broke in with power into their lives. And what happens to them in this chapter is a picture of what God longs to do in our lives, in each one of our lives and in our life as a church. He wants each one of us to experience his turnaround work on an eternal scale by turning to Jesus. And that's why what Samuel calls the people to do are how the Christian life begins. He calls them to return to God, put away everything that gets in the way, everything that competes with him. He calls them to rely on God not trusting anything they have done, but the mediator that God has provided. And to remember and be thankful so that gratitude for the finished work of Christ can power a new life in following him. What we've seen in this chapter and these three things God's word calls us to do, that's the shape of how every new life with God begins. But you know, it's also how our life with God continues. These three, what you want to call them, movements towards God that his word creates in us, they are how we grow as Christians. And it might be that you're listening to this and you're thinking, let me stop you there. I've been a Christian for years and I don't seem to be changing. Maybe tonight you feel exactly what Carrie Fisher was talking about earlier. Well, if that's you, just remember, the biggest change of all has already happened. For everyone who has turned to Jesus, God has done the eternal turnaround work. Already, in terms of your standing before God, the biggest change of all has happened. You are no longer an enemy of God on a collision course with his right anger, but a loved child given a new life with him that starts now and never ends. The biggest change of all, the biggest turnaround has already happened for those who've turned back to Jesus. And if the pace of change in your life in terms of living out that new life feels painfully slow, just remember that God was at work in these chapters over many, many years. And his timing though mysterious to us, perhaps, can be trusted. But let me say this. Even if the time it takes for this change to happen is longer than you or I want, the shape of the change is always what we read in this passage. It's always these three things as God calls us to return to him and put away anything that competes to rely on him and to remember what he has done. So as we finish, let's consider those three things, what the Lord is calling us to do, calling us as a church to. We're called to return, so let me ask, are you putting away what gets in the way? Isn't it interesting how Samuel isn't content just to let Israel feel bad and feel remorse? He moves them on to make that concrete. He urges them to put away anything that competes with God or draws us away from him. It might be tonight for you that it's just like the passage. There are other gods. 
other objects of religious devotion competing in your life. Tonight, God calls you to put them away. Turn back to him, the true and living God, who has no rivals and no equals. But notice as well that in putting away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, Israel are also getting rid of snares, thing that, things that through their life cause them to stumble. So let's take another step on this. What is a snare to you in your life? What is getting in the way? Put that away too. Are there apps that shouldn't be on your phone? Are there places you go or things you look at that feed your greed or move you towards gossip? Get rid of them so that you can turn to the Lord. Are you putting away what gets in the way? Second, we're called to rely. So let me ask, are you finding your refuge in Christ? What is the big difference between crushing defeat in chapter 4 and comprehensive victory in chapter 7? Well, it's Samuel. He's the big difference. He's the mediator God provides, and it's through him calling Israel to return to the Lord and interceding that everything changes. But you know, Samuel is not the destination as we read this passage. He's a sign pointing the way pointing to the ultimate mediator God provides, our Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human and so capable to intercede in every way. Do you remember last week, there was that pointed question, chapter 6, verse 20, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? Well, in Romans 5, we read this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That is how sinners can stand before a holy God, through the peace with God won by Jesus. And there's a beautiful little hint of how Jesus wins that peace in our passage. Have a look down at verse 9 again. Do you notice the order in which Samuel does things. First, he takes the lamb and sacrifices it. Then, he cries out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and is answered. That order matters because it's exactly the same order in which Jesus will do it. First, Jesus will come to his fearful people and he will offer the sacrifice himself, the perfect lamb of God. And then, risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, He will pray and intercede for us, his people. We see that order also in Romans later in chapter 8, just a bit before the verses we started the service with. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What is Jesus doing right now? He is with the Lord, interceding for us. What does that mean? It doesn't mean he's desperately pleading. It means he's pointing to the finished work of the cross. And on that basis, he is assuring us before the Lord that we are fully accepted. As we will sing a little bit later in the service, um, that we actually have this great high priest on high. And that changes something about how we pray. If it's true that Christ is our mediator, 
then I think that allows us to pray very humble, very honest, very desperate prayers. Have a look again at verse 9. That's not actually Christian prayer. When Christians pray, verse 9 isn't what's happening. That's Jesus' mediation. That's what that's a picture of. Christian prayer is actually verse 8. It's us running helpless and hapless to the mediator, crying out from the depths of what we're experiencing, from all of our fear, and knowing that we will be heard, not because of us, but because of him and the perfect sacrifice he's offered and his heavenly intercession. Are you finding your refuge in Christ? Finally, we're called to remember. So let me ask, are you fighting forgetfulness? One enemy of holiness in our lives is forgetfulness. We keep forgetting who God is, what he's done, and what that means for us. All through the Old Testament, forgetfulness is, is the pivot that keeps turning the people of Israel away from God. But gratitude is the opposite of that. Gratitude is the thing that sets the direction for our life in Christ. Again, in, in Paul's letter to Romans in chapter 12, we're told <coughs> it's in view of God's mercy that we are to offer ourselves offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? Are you fighting forgetfulness? Are you keeping God's mercy in view? Because we have hard hearts and short memories. It doesn't take me very long to forget God and what he's done for me in Jesus. I need help fighting forgetfulness. And the good news is help is at hand. Because the same way that Samuel gave that solid reminder, that monument to the people, Jesus gives us his people the most wonderful Ebenezer. Every time we gather at the Lord's table, we have an opportunity to say, thus far the Lord has helped us. To remember all that he has done and to be thankful. So tonight, as we gather at the Lord's Supper, let's fight forgetfulness. Let's remember Christ's finished work on the cross and rejoice in what that means for us as we receive the spiritual food of his body and blood, eating bread and wine. These are the ways Lord, the Lord calls his people to come back to him, to return, to rely, to remember. Let's take a quiet moment now, and as we do, perhaps you'll want to seek the Lord's renewing work in your own life as he calls you to return, rely, remember. Perhaps you want to seek his renewing work for us as a church, even tonight as we gather at his table. Perhaps you want to pray for his renewing work on a nationwide scale, as we've seen it in this chapter, for a country which has had so many years of Christian heritage. Let's take a quiet moment. Let's bring our prayers before the Lord. Let's seek him for this work that only he can do. Lord God, by your spirit, might we hear and respond to this life-giving word. Might we come back to you with all our hearts. Might we rely on you, rejoicing in Christ our mediator. And now as we confess our sins and come to your table, might we be full of gratitude at all we have in him. 
We pray, Lord, we dare to pray that in our lives, in our church, we might see you do the work you did among the Israelites in this chapter. Please, Lord, be at work. In Jesus' name, amen.